Hey, I'm Brett Gornick. I'm Jason Lobig. Welcome to the Live Better Podcast. As Nike trainers, international retreat leaders, and wellness advisors, we help people from all different backgrounds push towards their potential, get healthy, and change the world. This podcast is about teaching others to actively pursue their entrepreneurial dreams, similar to how we pursued ours, and how to get and stay healthy doing it. We didn't start our careers in training and wellness. Jason worked in public accounting, and I, Brett, worked in corporate retail until starting our dream experiential wellness business, Live Better. What started as an idea for a protein bar led us down a path to build what Live Better is now, which performs everything from personal training and corporate wellness to international wellness retreats and yoga and meditation for kids. We are here to encourage you to follow your dreams while holding you accountable. It's not easy, it's not always simple, but it is possible. Let's make today the best day ever. All right, Live Better Podcast fam. Today on the show, we have the man, the legend, Mr. Josh Kircher. Josh, what is happening, my brother? What's up, dude? Just sitting inside you guys' new studio here, sunglasses on, looking like a dummy. It's because I got LASIK <laughs> earlier in the week, um, but I'm moving to L.A., so I figure it's training for L.A. where everybody wears sunglasses inside. Yeah, you're not going to be able to see this, but Josh is probably one of the only people on earth that looks very natural wearing sunglasses inside. <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. You had to point it out when you walked. He <laughs> was like, this is just what he's doing. Yeah, he's just rocking it. Um, yeah, that's just my day. I one time completely miscategorized you as a tailor, and I got yelled at by not you, but by someone else. Can you uh, tell people what you do? Because it is way above and beyond that. It's interesting, actually, that you say that because I was challenged again recently by a tailor, by like one of the most um, accredited tailors sort of that are out there. Um, for me, what I look at what I do is because a tailor has such specificity in what he does. I think that they go through so much training. They can really hand sew that garment all themselves. They dedicate their life to that craft. I look at that personally as a tailor. Me, on the other hand, uh, my job is as a fashion designer. If I look at that on the whole, I look at somebody who has a certain taste level, has a certain perspective or lens on things, the way that they want the world around them to look. And in my case, that happens to be like my media, my channel is fashion. So I have an idea of how I want the clothes to look like. I have a story and a narrative that I've sort of packaged in my head. And my job is to think about what that looks, think about my customer, my guy or my woman, how do they live their life, uh, with intention, what does that look like? I even you know, think about like what their apartments look like and things like that. But specifically, when it comes to creating things, I'm really just thinking about the whole package and what that needs to look like when it comes together. Um, so I know a lot about how garments come together. I have done a lot of training. Of, uh, I, I know how to draft patterns. I've done all the things. But where I was challenged actually is the guy who taught me pattern making. Uh, is a really well-renowned tailor uh, who is in Savile Row, uh, a, a really well-known bespoke tailor. And he said a tailor is anyone who does anything with the clothing. Like the guy who just does the measurements, if he's well-trained and he's a student of the game, he's a tailor. The guy who's a cutter, he's a tailor. And I appreciate what he's saying, but I think the tailors are the guys that like really just dedicate their life to it. I think I'm a fashion designer. Yeah, I. one of the things that first drew me to you and your brand one you just seemingly live it like you're a you're you're a perfect aesthetic representation of the type of like style that i associate with kircher but through a mutual friend um the first thing that drew me to like kircher and the way that you put together all of these different pieces of fashion it wasn't just men's suiting Mm -hmm. it is everything from 
boots to the suits to the jackets yeah. to the way that all looks to the way that your space is designed um, and I think that you know I own two suits that you have made for me which are amazing I think the the thing that elevates it for me above and beyond just going to get something made in a bespoke shop is like the whole look so can you just kind of walk through I know you were talking about like the story and narrative and we've had a lot of conversations around how you think creatively around putting all of that together to build yeah. this brand like where did that come from because I'm sure that you got into it with like one or two things in mind and then that turned into others like how do you think about putting all those pieces together yeah it well it wasn't um, it wasn't always what it is right now I mean there's a constant evolution of what we're doing um, for the longest time it was just tailoring actually I actually found those are one of the most complicated garments but like that's what we started with and so when we started the brand um, uh, around s- almost six years ago, I've been in the industry doing it for ten years now. Uh, when we first started, it got to do with the tailoring because we were able to take uh, someone like me who wasn't going to sit there and sew the garment entirely myself. We were to ta- able to tap into outside infrastructure of small workshops and tailoring groups who understood what it was that I wanted. I needed to be able to communicate to them clearly the level of quality that we wanted, the way that I wanted something constructed, the way that I want a pattern drafted, all of those things. And so I was able to tap into that and still create really amazing products for people. But that slowly evolved over time into creating what we're doing now, which are leather jackets. And uh, next season, we're going to have like hoodies and tees for the first time, which we've been talking about for a long time. Um, and so many other things. But what was really important, actually, and what I like to think about is that none of those things ever came into my world. I would have stayed in the world of suits and got boxed into that until I started really believing that my perspective was valid. Like for the longest time, I felt a little bit like an imposter, like, you know, all I can do are these suits and I'm only going to be known for this forever. And I had all these ideas that were in the back of my head, but I wasn't really giving them any credit. It wasn't until I started really realizing that some of the other peers that are in the industry with me, the guys that I looked up to, were really no different than me. Like, they were tripping through it and figuring it out at the same time. Like, it wasn't until I realized Tom Ford wasn't sitting there sewing everything himself, but that he had a high taste level and he knew how to build a team. Uh, And it was a lot later in the company that I finally gave up trying to be a hero doing so much myself and hired a brilliant team and started doing some really incredible things. And learning to let go like that is what's allowed us to like really evolve into something special. And even in here in Chicago, there's not many brands that do the kind of stuff that we do. Um, but that's really exciting. I've totally detoured on the question that you asked me. <laughs> no, just I think that was great. It's just thinking about like the evolution beyond what you do. I mean, just to parallel what we do, we got into this personal training, but that's one I mean it's a main thing that we do but it's only one small piece of solving the overall health puzzle yeah. the nutritional pieces to that even within training and movement in general you can run you can lift you can do yoga I mean there's an infinite number of, of activities um, but the way that those things build together creates like a very holistic and all-encompassing like really like boutique health and wellness agency almost at this point like we've yeah. done things consulting for fortune 50 We've run retreats. You've been on one. Um, yeah. We've done. We do personal coaching. We work with kids in like kindergarten and CPS schools. We yeah. have taught nutrition classes. We've done stress and like sleep work. And you you kind of realize like oh if someone's going to come to you for health information and you can only do one thing you're missing out on the on the 
really helping somebody kind of in the way that they want to be helped. And I always thought I always bring that parallel kind of back to you when I'm looking at that, like I want all my clothes to be Kircher. I'm like, I don't just wear suits. Like, can you also make me a pair of jeans? Can you make me a hoodie? Can you make me a t-shirt? And I want all of those things to seamlessly fit together in an aesthetic that's mine, just made by somebody else. And it's just, I I think about that kind of in the same way where someone comes to us with a health question. Like I want to be armed to help somebody in every possible way. And if I can't do it, I want a network of people who can help kind of the same way you've you outsource like the stitching um, and some of those other kind of high-end specialty pieces mm-hmm. that you guys have done. Totally. Well, it's interesting too, like when you think about that evolution as a company or you guys think about your professional evolution, I think about mine, there's no way to get to what we're doing right now without a lot of patience, right? Because like when you guys first started, you started with a particular level of training or whatever it was that you had, you had that sort of entry into the game. And you probably knew that you had a lot of things that you wanted to do, but it wasn't until you started to believe and let those ideas uh, sort of percolate and kind of come up to the top. But not only that, when you start getting good customers, as much as I have, they start to ask you for more. And at that point, if you get asked enough, you start to believe, well, maybe I am the person that can give them these things. And I think that that was probably true for you guys, too. I'm guessing like when you start doing the retreats or like you're saying, you start incorporating other things outside in people's life. It's not just your physical health, but how's your mental health? And that's so crucial. Um, I love that about what you guys do as well. But I think that that was true for me too. I really had to have the patience and listen to what people were saying to me because I had all these dreams or maybe sometimes limiting beliefs about what I could do. But I really had to like let go of those things and start listening to the people around me and the customers who were telling me, no, you have more. And I think that was really powerful when I started to just like believe that and then I was like fuck it yeah like (laughs) I can actually do a lot of stuff let's go yeah how do you then take that and not let it go too far I think that's one thing I always look for um and think about with with both of what we're doing right you could start making socks and everything Mm -hmm. under Mm -hmm. the book we could start doing you know 400 different things but then with that you kind of lose a little bit of that like specialty right so like the curation like when i walk into your store it's it's curated right it's not just like a macy's where it's like just everything is lined up right there's a curation to it and there's a level of expertise where i think what you said there is like a word i keep going back to because i am such a person that gets in my own head about what's next yeah that i lose a lot about what's happening now yeah and patience is is the biggest thing that you said like you're, you know, 10 years in, so are we. We yeah. are so young into yeah, yeah, these, yeah. into our professions. I feel like we're at a good level, but we're so young into it. Where are we going to be in 30 years, totally. right? And I think now that, all, you know, us and, and you, we've we've dedicated our lives to this. Like, there's an, it's a no-brainer. This is like a lifelong thing, right? Yeah. We're not, like, going to switch and do something different. Yeah. Um, how do you take a step back and still make sure that everything is staying at that level and not overexert yourself to be doing too much because we all have Mm -hmm. limited time yeah um it's a good question and honestly like it's a real challenge in the creative field because i i know anyone listening who is creative um can resonate with the fact that we have too many ideas and it is really hard and i think it's a learned skill to learn how to pull back and do an edit on yourself part of it is also 
learning to not just keep it to yourself too. So for me, for example, like I might have all these ideas or things that I want to do. If I'm left to my own devices and we're doing pretty well, I've done it before. Like I can go overboard. I can spend way too much on samples and development or trying to do new things and lose sight of the fact that like we have a business to run here too. Um, or maybe you lose sight of what the real vision is, you know. Um, but I think like having a core understanding of like why it's important to you and like what's what's really the motivating force driving what the brand is forward, like whatever it is, whether it's fitness or in this case fashion. So for me, I love living with intention. I love the idea of fewer things and better things. And so with that in mind, like I have to use that as the filter for everything that we design that I put out. Does this thing deserve to exist in the world? Like why do I don't want to make things just to have things be out there? Like how do we design this thing or take an approach to the way that we design it with function in mind, with fashion, how do we make something that's going to feel like it's timeless and that's going to serve somebody for a really long time? And how do we put enough passion into something that is that the that the end user, the consumer, is going to feel too? Like they feel it. I think when you make something really beautiful, they do feel it. Um, but that's that's the filter for everything that we put out. Like if it doesn't have that, like it's not going to end up on the shelves. And so for me, we have to teach that to the team as well. And my team knows me well enough now that they have to use the same filter. Like if it's not something that I would wear, that I would put out, like it's going to get scratched. We might come up with a ton of ideas, but. We scratch the stuff if it doesn't feel like it hits all the marks. And that's hard sometimes because you really want to put something out there. But if it's not it, it's not it. And that, that's, a, that's a learned skill, though. But what I was saying about, like, being vocal about it, I think it's having people around you, like, whether those are friends or professional peers or your team, and not being afraid to share your ideas with them and making sure that you sort of train them to be honest with you. Like, tell me if this isn't a be- isn't a good idea or we can all get really good ideas and ride the romance train and everyone thinks it's the best thing since sliced bread, but maybe start with questions like, tell me why it's a bad idea. Like, start there and like have those really hard filters in place too and surround yourself with people who will constantly challenge you. And I think that that, for me anyways, helps me make sure that I'm editing and, and spending my time on the right stuff. Yeah, the, the, that refinement process of the skill versus <clears throat> like business development is such a tough thing because you mm-hmm. always want to expand your business, but then you actually will continue to make more money and get better at some of those skills, which I would imagine in fashion are just as transferable as they are in health. Like me seeing clients, you get exposed to so many more scenarios, like so many more body types. The same way you would measure one or evaluate somebody for like, oh, this would look good on you or maybe you should try this because it might fit your complexion better or your size better or your height better. Um, You know, everybody doesn't look good in all the same things. But I think what's super – what I've always appreciated about your stuff too and you were kind of talking through it earlier about when to add certain things is – People will always come to you because they want it made from you, mm-hmm. which I think is also awesome. Yeah. Like that is validation. Your customers are asking for that aesthetic from you, which starts to push you harder on, okay, maybe I am worthy of making something like this. Like there are a million places to buy a suit and a yeah. million places to buy a hoodie and a million places to buy denim and a, a, tons of places to buy leather jackets. Yeah. But I want that all curated from one spot because they like you they like your brand that's another interesting thing to tap into like when you're trying to create a business or personal brand or whatever it is right like the reality is is that these guys could shop or these guys could work out with anyone right like they really could like i'm not special 
like what's special is that I've tapped into who I really am. Like I've learned how to unapologetically be myself and very authentically tell my story. And I mean, I wasn't supposed to be here. I grew up on a farm and, you know, like in a tiny town and had a class of 84 kids. Like fashion was not in, uh, it was, it was not available. Like it was not the thing that you could do. But living through my life and learning how to tell my story and really learning how to package that narrative and tell it in a way that feels really real to me, I think people were drawn to that and that's why they want to buy it. And I care, like you said, like I think really caring about stuff is what really fuels you when you're going to put out good work. And I care maybe too much about this stuff. Like I'll probably never sell the company. I don't have an exit in mind. You know, <laughs> I'm not terribly focused on scale. Like it's really about putting in good work and giving people moments. You know, and clothing's really powerful. It has the opportunity to give people like a moment. But that's why I fell in love with this business. I fell in love with storytelling, which is like something that uh, is so important to me. And I think clothing is just a great way to to tell a story, not only for me but for the customer as well. I want to I want to uh, come back to the that storytelling piece because I think clothes just do that for so many people. For sure, and I've definitely it's become a more important part of my life as you. I think you kind of realize who you are and what image you want to put out and who you want to be. Like your clothes are obviously the most visible, natural extension of doing that. Besides, mm-hmm. like the personality you put out. Absolutely. But when we were before we hit record, we were talking about environments and existing in Chicago. And I think one of the coolest things about you guys is that you exist in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like there just aren't a lot of really edgy, but high-end luxury like designer brands that are approachable in Chicago. Like you just don't walk by any of them. They're all yeah. normal retail shops or big brands that just happen to have a Chicago retail location. Yeah. They're not like born and bred here. Um, and I think that makes you stand out and unique, but you also were mentioning um, about sharing ideas with peers and having them push you, which you, which we talked about, like you just don't have as many here um, and kind of mix with your LA trip, like talk us through how you think about then collaborating and building like a, a sense of kind of community of your peers and other entrepreneurs who are pushing stuff and balancing that with like being in a city where, yeah, you make a great mark, but you're kind of standing alone. Yeah, um, I think that, right, so who you curate around you and who your peer group is, is is so important. And I think that that actually has been a challenge in Chicago, like as far as fashion is, because we we don't, we don't have a lot that's going on here, actually. I think that we could, actually, let let me back up. I think that there is a lot going on here, but I don't think that it's curated right now. I don't think that there's uh, an ecosystem that's friendly to it or that helps encourage communication between each other and part of the challenge is that we don't have the infrastructure here to actually like create these clothing like there's not a lot of fabric stores for me to go and buy the fabrics that I need or the trims or all the different components that go into things like we don't have a lot of manufacturers here one of the challenges for us to run a brand here is that we do very uniquely do a lot of stuff in a studio we have an active live studio with a cutting table and sewing machines like we're really doing the shit like right there in front of you Um, But we can really only do super high-end, very couture-like stuff there. Or we can do, like, sample development. But when it comes to manufacturing, yeah, i got to take trips to New York. Or i got to take trips to L.A. or Italy or wherever it is. And we have to find those other vendors to do those things. That leads to a lot of the talent that we would have in this city kind of going elsewhere. There are a very select few people who have stayed here and built really amazing brands and really fostered community with their brand. Um, 
I would love to, and I'm really thinking about trying to champion the effort of fostering community within those that small design group here in Chicago. I think that everybody sort of knows each other a little bit, and they're kind of friends, but I don't know that we're growing the way that we should together yet, and that's something that I'm excited about in the future, is trying to, is trying to put something like that together. Um, but yeah, I think also, if that's the case, and you know, somebody lives in a market that's doing a, a profession that's similar to that, like, if that's your reality, like, create a new reality, you know, either, you know, start new conversations in your market and find a way to like find those people and bring them together. Like I'm trying to do now or get yourself out in other markets, like find your people. And so for example, yeah, like I'm going to go live in LA for a couple months. It's a good market of ours since we do leather jackets and tailoring for red carpets and all that stuff. But I'm forcing myself to get outside of my comfort zone. Like I'm real scared and nervous about it, but I'm going (laughs) to go live in West Hollywood for a couple months and just go ham, just tackle the market and make all the connections and do all the things and just get completely outside of my comfort zone and and hopefully plant seeds that will turn into something great. I yeah, I when I'm what do you think the what do you think the end vision for Kircher is? Or what is your next vision for what Kircher is? I mean, that's probably the wrong question. Yeah. Probably there's there is no end vision. I don't know. I mean I think you have to <laughs> It's silly, I think, to start a business and not think about what it ultimately needs to mean for you long term. Um, you know, I don't know that if we'll ever have some form of an exit or something like that. But I do want to make sure that it, for me, anyways, it feels a, it's important that I build something great and I want to build something that that, like, let's say for my staff and the people who end up being on the team, that they're really excited to come to work and do what they're doing. I think it's really important for me, and I love that feeling of creating something where people are doing what they love. I mean, that's a big part of it. Um, And then obviously creating something that is respected, right? And and, uh, it's it's hard, dude. (laughs) I don't think about the exit a lot because I don't want to like necessarily sell the company or anything like that. But I think what I really want it to do is I just want it to be a continuing extension of the things that matter to me in my life. I think that that's why I used my last name I forcibly wanted to tie myself to it and get myself to take the things that I care about and the things that I think are beautiful and have a channel for putting those out into the world so like right now obviously we're adding new categories and it's really about continuing to build out what would that wardrobe look like for my guy or my girl I think naturally like that's what fashion is is continuing to do those things but uh, I don't know what else it could be I used to do real estate I used to renovate and flip houses and know how to build a lot of shit like maybe furniture's in the future maybe we can do stuff with interiors I'm open to whatever my taste seems to kind of take me to when you think about starting you mentioned that you grew up in a small town where fashion probably wasn't a thing at all I think a lot of people that listen to our show have ideas and miss out on that that switch, right? The mm. flip to go do it, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and it's irrelevant of where you start or honestly even like where you are now for where you can go. And, you know, Jason and I started at corporate companies. We could be managers and be hacking away on Excel spreadsheets and making 10x what we do now. Doing taxes. Yeah, doing tax or yeah. analyzing data or what. Like, you know, it, it's yep. like I think people get caught up in you know, and we talk about this, we talked about this in our retreat too, just about our identity. People get caught up on like where they started or even where they are now and don't give enough into where they can go. And so for yourself and as you're kind of telling this story, 
I want to think about for like anybody else that's listening that's in that point of like I have something here there's an idea in my head but it's just not what I'm used to it's not my in my current environment it's not how I was brought up right like how do we then take that and say fuck it like I'm gonna go try and do this Mm -hmm. um and obviously you know you've been doing this for over 10 years so it's there's a time commitment yeah um but when you look back at saying like where was that initial inspiration and then what what time did it take before you like made your first suit coat or put your name on the brand like talk through that period of like i gotta do this like i just have to do this yeah it's a great question um it, and it's interesting because that for me anyways, in my own personal experience, there was a period of rumination, like thinking about these ideas, a long period, sort of, sort of a long gestation period of like birthing an idea and letting it sort of live in me for a few years. Um, there was that, there was me putting the time in and having the patience to like believe that I was ready to do it. And doing some work to get ready to do it, but then there was also at the same very time, at the same moment, there was a switch that was flipped. You had to, it, it had to sort of percolate long enough until I was willing to flip a switch, and then you actually take the risk. But for me, what that looked like um, coming out of that small farm town, I was a jock in school, probably like you guys were, and in a small town, if you play sports, you play all the sports, and so <laughs> if it was like basketball, yeah, like literally everything, like. Um, which was fun, though. Like, I think growing up in a small town, I really appreciate what community looks like. Where'd right? you grow up? Grass Lake. It was just outside of Ann Arbor in Michigan. Okay. Really little town. Um, great small town. But coming out of there, yeah, like, you don't necessarily have a lot of prospects for the stuff that I'm doing. So it wasn't even, I wasn't even aware that it could be done. Um, and I had high test scores, but, like, a pretty crappy GPA because sports and girls mattered more. <laughs> and in uh, school was like kind of boring to me. Uh, and I grew up in a dance crew too. So like I would just go to dances and go ham and I was constantly practicing that, definitely not doing homework. Um, and so when I got out of high school, when I graduated, I was applying to colleges like Michigan. Like I did not know any better. Like we didn't have, our coaches weren't like helping you scout even if you're like one of the better players like in the conference or in the state like nothing none of that was happening so when I applied to schools like Michigan they're like bro I said no (laughs) (laughs) and I was like oh word like okay I didn't know that um and so I was like shit well all right well I guess I'll go to this community college and I went to community college and lasted legitimately all of three classes until I was like this is for the birds like I can do so much better than this this isn't for me and I think that that was probably not the right decision but like in the in that moment it felt like the right decision I think largely I was a little lost about it but I drop out I think that I'm gonna go crush it and do it on my own I don't I do the opposite like I fail hard like I live in this sort of like party house for a little while I rack up dead, I had a car repossessed, I got in trouble a couple of times. I mean, I did everything wrong. I really did. And just hit some low points where finally I was just like, something's got to give. Like, this sucks. Like, I'm not killing it at all. Like, I'm killing myself. And so I looked in the paper for a job. Like, I want to, like, completely date myself. But, like, <laughs> there was. Like, there was, like, some ads in the paper and my dad at the time was working at a car dealership. He's like, he's like, dude, like, just, he's like, you're a really good salesperson. Like, you love to chat. Like, people like being around you. Like, why don't you look for a sales job? So I find a 
ad at a Lexus dealership that was hiring uh, a Toyota Lexus dealer, like a joint dealer. And I go in and I'm like end of 19, maybe early 20, something like that. And I sit down with this guy named Joe Rodriguez. He's a young sales manager and I'm interviewing with him and I look like a fool. Um, I had just gotten back from Mexico for the first time and I thought that it would be a really good idea to bleach my hair blonde and not like a good blonde though, like more like Draco Malfoy. So like it was like <laughs> yellow blonde and people listening to this can't see, but my hair is very curly. So like it was a lot, like I had a big yellow fro basically. And I put on like whatever like I wore to the basketball away games probably. <laughs> this is probably like a six button suit yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And so I go into this interview and I, and I kill it in the interview, but Joe looks at me and he's like, dude, I, I like you, man. I think you got something, but you look like shit. And I was like, what do we do? He's like, I don't know. Go handle it and come back. And I was like, so I run to the mall. I go to Bowricks or Fantastic Sam's, whatever, like the haircut places at the mall. Shave it because it's the only option. Basically buzz it. I go to Express and put on like a shirt that's like a little tighter. And then I run back to this dealership and I walk in and I'm walking by the receptionist and she's like, can I help you? And I'm like, I'm good because I spot Joe. He's inside of a meeting, a closed door meeting, by the way. But of course, I dropped out of college and I went to a farm town school. So I don't know what closed door meeting means. I walk into the door and just knock because he's in there with two other guys. And these guys turn around slow-mo, turning around like, who the fuck is this person opening this closed door meeting? And they look at me and I go to Joe. I say, hey, Joe, knock, knock. I was like, is this good? And he like laughs, looking like down. He's like, "We'll see you Monday." <laughs> and so I got awesome. that job. And what happened though, and the reason that I tell that story is that the other two guys that were in that closed door meeting um, were the dealer principal who owned dealer group, and they're the biggest group in the state. Like the guy uh, who was notoriously not loved by a lot of the salespeople because he just didn't take a like, and he ran his business and did his shit. So he was in there, and so he was kind of like the, the big sort of mean guy that people were scared of. And then there was the other guy who was the GM of the whole group who sort of like really ran things. Those guys loved me. They're like, who's this kid with the balls to walk in like this? And I was so young, and Joe told them the story. And those guys sort of took me under their wing and sort of treated me like their son. And that was so important to me because they started teaching me things that like I just didn't know about yet they're like this is what empathy looks like this is what sales actually looks like this is how you listen to people and also this is how you dress these guys had their shit together they dressed impeccably well they all had custom suits done and they forced me to hustle my ass off and make money and then take that first check and invest it into custom suits so I started to dress like these guys all the while I'm kind of reeling from being in trouble and partying and doing all these things thinking like I'm fucked like I'm not doing a good job with life and I think I'm a punk kid well here I am at this Lexus dealership and this Toyota dealership and people are writing checks to me in the dealership like listening to me buying a car and I'm like what the hell like the only <laughs> thing that's changed is the way I look it's the clothing and I was like wow I was like this clothing had the ability to change their perception or really influence their perception of who I was or what I was capable of. And that over time started to change my own perception of what I was capable of is that clothing was an inflection point in my life and a catalyst that made me be like, wow, there's more here for me. And I went down the rabbit hole as a consumer because of that experience with like tailoring saying like, okay, let me get into this. Let me see why do people wear what they wear? Like, what are the rules of this game? And I really went down the rabbit hole and started to get into it. 
and I did really well at that job uh, over a few years, and then eventually um, started doing real estate, uh, buying, renovating, flipping houses back in Michigan for a couple of years, and all the while continuing to fall in love with clothing. And there was a period in during the real estate thing where I realized that like maybe the tailoring thing, maybe the custom suit thing was something that I could do. And I had saved up a little bit of money and just said, fuck it, and moved to Chicago and didn't know anyone. Uh, lived in a basement for a year and a half uh, to start the brand, like an actual basement. It was the basement of a salon. At the time, we had some other partners. And um, <laughs> it, we had to walk through the salon to get to this apartment like, because it was an apartment, it was the basement. It was a concrete floor, no windows, had a fridge brought in, and had a shower. And, like, that was it, though. And that was a year and a half. It was my first year and a half. But at the same time, like, it was the most exciting time. Like, looking back, it was like, that sucked. Like, that was shitty. But, like, ultimately, like, it planted the seeds for made me, or to make me realize, like, I can do whatever I want to do. Like, if I can go through that stuff, I can, like, make this all happen. So, um, that was kind of how fashion and everything sort of came about and uh, just been chipping away at it ever since. Love that story. Yeah, that's that's really cool. <laughs> Two questions. Yeah. One, what was the very first piece of clothing you ever made? Uh, the first piece. And the first one you sold. So the first piece... There's two parts to the question. The first piece I made as a company and the first piece for myself. The first things that I made for myself were actually like... Um, it was more like distressing. When I was really young, I used to like distress jeans myself. Like I would grow up, you know, like listening to Kurt Cobain and my mom was really into like a lot of like metal and really cool alt bands and stuff like that. So you're looking at their fashion, classic 90s stuff. And so I would like learn to distress them myself, use sandpaper bleach. One time I took a gun and I would just shoot pants. And so it was like just to put holes in them. <laughs> Which, like, later yeah, became... You gotta do that in your, that's in your space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Just line it up and be like, yo, you range. get to make your own pants and like, you just bang Like, jeans, smurfs. <laughs> you hang those things yeah. up and send it get one back. shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember being, like, 11 out at, like, my grandpa's, like, farm thing. Just being like... Like, just, <laughs> just going ham on them. Oh, how'd you rip those? I actually shot, shot them. Well, like, what was funny is that, like, I was shooting them using, like, slugs, which was not nearly as smart as, like, later on. So, like, Mike Amiri would come out with a brand Amiri, which kills it right now. Like, it's one of the peers in the industry, like, I really look up to. Like, they're blowing up. But one of his signature items when they launched was a shotgun distressed jean. And I was like, duh, buckshot, mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. better. <laughs> I was like, Let well, he got it. Like, I but I was that. like, I've been shooting jeans, man. <laughs> um... But no, so like as a kid, I was doing that. But like the first piece that I made myself is when we had tapped into um, our sewing workshop uh, that was going to be working with us on the tailoring. I tried making my first suit like with the baseline understanding of patterns and fit that I knew. It was atrocious. It was the worst fitting thing like you've ever seen. It was like real tight on the ass and like way too much package showing but also a loose leg what <laughs> it was the weirdest shit that you've ever so seen in your life yeah <laughs> it's called squatting yeah <laughs> yeah except i was not, exactly except I, except i was not squatting so was just, i just did a bad job so no the first one was not encouraging but like what you know whatever yeah. like it's exciting you keep going 
Um, but the first one, so um, me and the, the other partners at the time, like we took some time like going through sampling and like really figured out what we were doing, but then eventually launched in the market and really had a warm welcome in Chicago when we launched the brand. And, and yeah, I remember making those like first couple pieces and focusing so intently on making sure that it was not only perfect, but their experience was perfect. Because I knew how important it was from the time that I was doing sales before, I, I, I knew what getting referral looked like. I knew how important that was going to be to the business and ultimately the brand that I wanted to build. So... But the first ones turned out well because I put in the time to do the work ahead of time. I, so speaking of like, what when did your switch flip and all that stuff? It it flipped, but I knew that we had to make sure that there was good product that was going to get put out first. It would be a little bit like uh, a real heavy dude being like, "I'm a trainer now," you know. It's like we got to take care of ourselves first and show that we can do it, you know, and then you can kind of put it out there. So. Yeah, we put the work in first, and then we were like, open for business, baby, let's go. But when you get that first yes, when someone gives you money for something, oh, bro. It's wild. Oh, it's wild, Jack. Yeah. We still laugh at It's you. over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this is crazy. This time, yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Like, Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> that worked? Yeah. And as the brand evolves, it gets so, it, like, obviously, like, we do stuff that's, like, in the luxury world, but I remember getting orders for pricing was really challenging for me at first like I was pricing the product that we were doing based on my own reality coming from a small town with not much money and my reality around money and finances was very different than what my customers were and it took me years actually to realize that I needed to to get outside of my own reality and just place myself in my customer's shoes and like have them understand because in the meantime I was underpricing myself and undervaluing the talent that I had um, but it wasn't until later that like I had big time customers placing big time orders like 20k 25k like it was nothing for them for some clothing and they were like yeah just chill and I was like oh my God, like what have I been doing? How do you do that? Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> but like what a what an amazing thing to be able to put something out into the world like that that people want to invest that into. And I think that that's, I'm always amazed by that. I'm always grateful that I have the opportunity to be out here doing stuff like that that people have, you know, put so much value in. Yeah, people want to buy things that they care about. For sure. Especially when you get older too. When you're a little bit younger, it's like, you know, it's hard buying a $5,000 jacket. You don't right. need a full bespoke suit at like 16 no. when you're showing up for Lexus dealer interviews. <laughs> no. Like you just don't need it quite yet. No, I, ironically, I probably would have I would have not had the job had I showed up like that. that yeah, been like, which is this guy, funny. This guy knows too much already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, on that same line with Joe, right? It was the guy interviewing mm-hmm. you, and then you mentioned Amiri, which is another brand. Yeah. You look up to what? Who are some other people that were kind of influential on the way? Like, who do you still lean on? Who do you look up to? Who are the people that inspire you now? Yeah. Well, so there's always a mix, right? So I think like when you're kind of coming up in the world and things like that, um, uh, I was obviously very. Uh, inspired uh, and grateful for my parents. I just learned a lot from my parents. I uh, my parents weren't together as I was growing up, but my mom took. I lived with my mom, and she took incredible care of me, and never made me realize that we didn't have a ton of money. Like I felt like I had everything that I ever wanted, you know, and like never went hungry or anything like that. And I think that I have a lot of respect for the way that she provided for me and just kept chugging. You know, like that was some hard work to be able to do that and never ask for anything in return. So learned a lot from her and 
from my dad, like he's brilliant, an incredible writer, and incredibly funny. And when I would visit him, he would live in Ann Arbor, so it was sort of removed from the country. And so I was getting diversity and culture when I would be with him. But he treated me just like one of the guys, and so. I learned from him, and he's a great singer. I remember he would go to karaoke and bring me, and like women would like throw money at him while he's singing like Frank Sinatra <laughs> tunes. I was like, "This is badass! Like, I want to do that." Um, and I learned from him humor and storytelling, and I carried those things with me. So there's like a baseline inspiration from those guys. But then, as I was going through life, you know, there's plenty of teachers who would like help in a lot of different ways. Um, uh, I'm in divorce now, but my, my ex Holly, like she really inspired me and helped me in more ways that I could possibly ever even thank her for. Like when we were building the company and we were coming up as kids, we were together for 16 years, like from high school on until just recently and lived a really incredible, amazing life together and traveled and seen the world and did a bunch of really amazing things. And so I think without her, I wouldn't have been able to do any of the stuff that I did. Um, and so I'm really grateful for her. And then now, like, as I'm an adult and I kind of continue on, um, I'm always inspired, like, with you guys and, you know, uh, like, the whole Live Better crew on the retreat. And I'm constantly inspired by the people that are around me or that I'm surrounding myself with who also have a growth mentality. Um, and that's a constant. But in the industry, um, <laughs> I think that, like, Amiri's doing amazing things. There's a lot of really cool young designers. There's a dude named Ruichi who has a brand called Rude who's just killing it. Like, he's got his finger on the pulse and just seems to be able to sell whatever the fuck he wants to sell. Like, (laughs) I appreciate him so much for, like, what he's doing. And uh, I think that there's brands that have been around for a long time. Like, there's a a brand called Vizvim, which is a Japanese brand that sort of has a cult following. And actually, like, that's kind of where I want to end up. Like, they are hyper-focused with creating thing like they only make what this dude wants to make and it's a lot of it's made in like old world techniques really beautiful hand construction and it is priced out of the galaxy it's very expensive but they produce very few things because of that though they have a cult following and i love that i love that he only produces what he wants and there's a very uh, small batch of things that gets produced and i kind of envision something similar for us in that way too but in our aesthetic i'm excited for our brand because i look at like you look at where like Tom Ford right like he's like the king of taste like you know sex appeal the whole thing like tailoring like is at the core of what he does and Tom Ford kills it he's the king he's been around for a long time though and as I look at these younger designers and brands that are coming out I don't know if I see someone who is new that is in that same space like I see a lot of really brilliant streetwear I see some stuff that's a really heavier like rock or hip-hop aesthetic i see some stuff that from younger designers that's very flowy and elegant and feminine but like i don't know if i see that sort of sex appeal brand in my own lens yet and i want to do that uh i think that that's where we're going to live and where we're going to thrive yeah i like that i like that when i'm when i'm seeing the things that you come out with that is what i most identify with it Mm-hmm. It's like this is elevated, but you can you. I, I like things that you could dress up and dress down and wear to everything in between. You're almost just never out of it. Yeah. But when you show up to something nice, it's edgier. When you mm-hmm. show up to something casual, you look great and you stand out in that way. Yeah. And I like that. And that I one thing that you said a long time ago. You said it earlier in this podcast, but you said it a long time ago to me. You're like, I'm really focused on less things but better things like less things but nicer things yeah. and it doesn't always have to be 
more expensive things. It can also be things that are just very valuable to you that you care about. It's kind of like a Marie Kondo kind of style way of looking at it. It's like, does this thing bring me joy? Like, does this piece of clothing, does this item I own have meaning to me? Mm -hmm. And I've just started to like shed so much, so many things that I own, so many possessions down to being like, I want a couple things that I wear all the time that I love that then other people see me wear and kind of identify me with that Yeah. instead of having a whole bunch of things that I just like, eh, I don't really care about it. I just kind of cast it aside. I don't really care for it when I have it. Yeah. Like I just, I really don't like that. And I, I like where your brand sits with that. It's like when we show up to something nice, there's an edge to it and you can tell it's luxury, but you can tell that there is a story behind it. Yeah, and it, it's such a good filter for your life too, right? Like just fewer things, better things. Like it could have, it's for your relationships, for the things that you own, like the tangible and intangible, it works for both things. But um, yeah, I, I think that's definitely the filter for our brand. What I find what's interesting is coming from the Midwest and loving storytelling and antiques and growing up in such a really you know, salt of the earth sort of way is I feel like that's made its way into our brand and it's what like really sells. I think the way that we make stuff really is beautiful. Like it's timeless and it's luxurious. Like it really is some of the most beautiful stuff that you can buy, but somehow it's still approachable. Like the Midwestern sort of approachability is still there. And I don't know if it's the way that we tell our stories, the way that we package it, but like somehow it's still there. And I think I get that comment a lot from people. Like, I love that I can tell that this is really beautiful, but there's so many things like in luxury that feel like it alienates you unless you're already a part of that reality. And so then it makes it hard for the new consumer to want to invest in that. But I like being that brand that sort of like welcomes them being like, no, yeah, yeah, like you can have this too. But here's why. Like, here's why you might want it. Here's why it's made this way. Here's why it's going to serve you well in your life. And I, I like buying things that that stand out to me as unique. Yeah. Like, we talked about this a lot, but I'm to the point where, and we are kind of together, to the point where we really just, like, only want to work with our friends. Yeah. Like, I want my clients, they don't all have to be, like, personal, close, like, best friends of mine. But I want them to be people that I know that I really care for, that I want to see succeed. And I also want them to be equally as invested in me. Mm-hmm. And I want that to be in a group of people where we're like kind of pushing different industries forward and able to learn from each other and like socially share. I think that is really important to me. And rather than spend the money on something that, you know, that somebody's making a hundred thousand pieces of that you're just paying for a label like I want to pay I would overpay for something nice that I love where I know where it comes from yeah yeah absolutely it's funny you you made me think of a quote a second ago when you were talking about like I love thinking about getting dressed up or something like that but there's another guy that does similar work to what I do it's uh, his brand's Effie Castleberry it's Fred Castleberry and he's out of New York and he does really dope stuff but like he has a lot of amazing quotes that like, he just, I think, seemingly comes up with. But he has one that is, um, what is it? I'm going to paraphrase, but I think it's something like, dress like you have something better to go to like next <laughs> which is so sick I love that because like yeah and it, which like works really well like yeah maybe you're going to this one thing but dress just a little bit better oh, yeah. like you'll always be that guy in the room and for all our Chicago people listening like I promise you guys like it is not hard to be the best dress in the room it's like just a little bit of work and like you'll be that guy and it's I can't tell you how many compliments <laughs> that green suit has gotten me 
the green suits fire, dude. Every time <laughs> I walk in with that, people are like, oh, wow. Yeah, they, that's lose, cool. they lose their shit. That's cool. It's but it's fun. not like neon there's no like there's yeah. no lights on it it's just like oh that is different from what I'm wearing mm-hmm. but it just looks so nice and it's not like pink and yellow yeah. and like bell bottom LA flash like no it it's is. not it's you not hyper good. maximalist like it's yeah. fit like it's fit like it could be a banana yellow suit but if it fits really well like someone's gonna be like damn nice suit and then they're gonna be like is that a banana yellow suit <laughs> yeah, yeah. like fit really yeah. does it um yeah, it does. it's funny like and like a single compliment goes so far too like if guys are just getting introduced to like tailoring and suiting or dressing up a little nicely and a lot of guys are because like especially like in the midwest like do we grow up everyone doesn't grow up with like the dad that dresses really well like we just we're not exposed to it we don't know any better once we finally are and we do dress that well and we get that one compliment or two compliments like your life sort of changes you're like oh shit yeah i kind of like this feeling um there's a parallel with that with building a business too and since we're sort of talking about business like i think that's always important to talk about when people are first starting things we get a lot of like young kids and designers coming in and they talk to me and they're showing me their following or what they're doing, and they're like, oh, our likes are only at about this right now, our followers are only this. And they'll be frustrated because maybe they have, like, 75 likes or they'll have, like, 160 likes on something, and I have to stop them and have them remember, and this is for anyone who's starting anything, like, 160 people, like, those are people. Like, don't get caught up in the metrics and the numbers and, th- and comparing yourself to other people. There's 160 people that, like, went out of their way to tell you, yes, keep going. Like, that is an approval. And not to mention also, too, like, don't forget, like, every single customer that says yes to you or gives you money, like, you're fucking winning, bro. Like, keep going. Like, you just have to keep pushing and realize that every little, you have to recognize what are the little things that you can kind of have gratitude for. And even if you're just starting on social media, especially young kids who are so sucked into that, like, realize that just a few are good, but nurture that community. Don't just keep focusing on trying to get more and looking at the big numbers. Go back to those people who are giving you that love and find out why. Like, what is it that they like about you? Nurture that community and and it will grow itself because of that. Uh, I can't, like, emphasize that enough to people. It's like, don't get caught up in the big comparative world of things. Like, you live in your life. You have to, like, appreciate all the little things going on right now. So just, like, do some back-of-the-napkin math. One person paid you 20 to 25K. One like equates to one person. Let's just add up the number of real customers paying mm-hmm. you 160 netting you that cash is a lot of money. Yeah. And you never, know who those, you never know who those people are going to be, yeah. too. Right. So like be open, like let your world just kind of flow and, you know, stay focused on the right shit and keep chugging forward and let, let the good people come into your life. Thousand true pants. That's it. So one question we love asking everybody, you know, our, our slogans have the best day ever. Yeah. That's our jam. Josh, you wake up tomorrow, anything, you can do whatever you want. What's your best day ever look like? Listen, I, Wednesday. How about Wednesday? So today's Monday, but Wednesday I'm going to have the best day ever. And the reason is, is because when I wake up, I really want to always be challenging myself and get outside of my comfort zone. But Wednesday I'm moving to LA for a couple months. I'm getting outside of my comfort zone, moving myself to a new market so that I can kind of explore and tap into the things that I know that I'm good at. I have a habit of 
sometimes falling into complacency because things are going really well, you know, and I fall into doing some of the admin and the, the CEOing of the company and all the stuff that like, I actually like when I step back and look at it, I'm like, I don't like this shit at all. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, I want to tell stories. I want to be creative. I want to like think about new designs. I want to get out there and do things. And I'm now forcing myself to leave the Chicago market for a little bit and empower our team so that they can make an autonomous decisions for the brand like I trust them and I'm forcing myself to remove me from the equation go out to LA in a new setting and so that's the best day ever for me it's like making myself a little uncomfortable practicing the things that I know that I'm good at and like really leaning in and doubling down or tripling down on the stuff that I'm good at and just enveloping myself with with that and, and believing and executing on the things that I know that I'm really the best at but yeah, it's getting out there. It's talking to people. It's focus. It's it's putting in a little bit of creativity. It's dinners and drinks and making people laugh. Like it's that. Like it's just living, right? That's it. Yeah, and having people write me some fat checks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take that all. That's where yeah. to close it off. Yeah. Josh, man, thanks. I mean, obviously, you know, we've got to know you over our retreat. Jason's been working with you for a while, and. Uh, you're just continuing to inspire through you. And and the thing I pull away from today, and I love this is that you're doing it like at your own accord and for things that you want to do and the brand's going to evolve as you evolve. And I love people that take that and do that. So I think it just, it's a, it's a massive inspiration. It's a really cool story. And, um, everybody that's in Chicago, everybody that's worldwide hit up our boy, Josh, where can people find out about you? And, uh, check out your space and all that stuff. Yeah, so our studio in Chicago where the team is, it's by appointment, but I think if you hit us up on the website, which is just my name, so it's joshkircher.com, you guys can link it up if you want, um, or on Instagram, at joshkircher, you can get a little behind-the-scenes look into the stuff that we do, and you can kind of see all the amazing things that our brilliant team is doing, but check us out on there. You can definitely come by the studio to visit us. Um, yeah, and I will say too, just an acknowledgement for you two and the whole Live Better crew. Like I said a little bit ago before the podcast started, I really appreciate the intention that you guys do in the business that you do. How you don't just look at it from a fitness standpoint, but like in physical health, but also mental health, and you really very genuinely care about the people that are in your community and bringing them together and I think the retreat was such a perfect representation of that and how beautiful that community is and how much everybody sort of cared about each other so everybody listening if they're not already virtually subscribing to workouts or if they're coming in physically if you could do anything man just come join us at one of those retreats it was <laughs> it was the best I'm going I'm going back many many times but yes thank you guys too I acknowledge you guys for building such an amazing community Thanks, I really appreciate you my man All right, homie. Have the best day ever. You guys too. Perfect. Boom. Thanks. That was epic. Sure thing.